You're listening to the Recovery Roadrunners Podcast, the sobriety podcast for runners who want to get inspired, get informed, and start seeing results fast. Every Monday, we'll share current events, personal stories, and research on how to get sober, stay sober, and run smarter so that you can up-level your life now. I'm your host, Amber Graziano, founder and president of Recovery Roadrunners, certified running and sobriety coach, K-12 master teacher, and sober mother of two. I've got my sober running pals with me, Vinny and Doug, and between the three of us, we've banked wisdom from over 13 years of sobriety and races from 5K to 100 miles. If your favorite form of cardio is or used to be running to the liquor store, this podcast is for you. Our mission is to inspire you to ditch the booze and lace up those running shoes. So let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Today's topic is six ways from three people on how to get sober, stay sober, and how to run better. But first, let's start off with our current event. And I'm going to let Vinny introduce this one. Take it away, Vinny. Hey, Amber. Hey, Doug. Hey, everybody. Yeah, so I stumbled across this article this morning, actually. It's a Wall Street Journal article published February 3rd, and it's titled, The Hottest Beer in America Doesn't Have Alcohol. And it says, uh, founded by a hedge fund trader and a brewer, athletic brewing has become the king of non-alcoholic beers. So what's all the buzz about? Wow, I love that. That just makes me smile big. The hottest beer in America doesn't have alcohol. Who knew that would be a popular headline? Yeah, so this guy, the founder, name is Bill, probably going to butcher his name, but it's either Schufelt or Schufelt. By all accounts, the typical type A guy worked for one of the biggest hedge funds in the United States. So he looks like uh, he worked hard, he partied hard, and he worked out hard. And then one day he decided that, uh, you know, alcohol was holding him back. So he quit drinking, but he still liked to socialize. And he liked to have like a a non-alcoholic beer or some non-alcoholic option when he was out you know, socializing, but he didn't like any of the available options back then. And I, this was in 2017. And I, I would agree with him. And I think his his words were, they all tasted like swamp water. And if you remember back then, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. It reminds me of yeah. like O'Doul's. Yeah. Nasty. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Hopefully oh. they're listening, but hopefully the O'Doul's people, I think it's made by Budweiser, but anyway, O'Doul's not great. So this guy quit his job and decided he was going to make a non-alcoholic brew that everybody liked, that didn't taste like swamp water. So it took him like two years, but he finally hooked up with a brewer. And long story short, they figured it out, but they were doing it in their garage using like old Gatorade jugs. And it took them like hundreds of tries until they finally figured out the formula, which they don't share how they did it. But it looks like they did it a little bit differently than most non-alcoholic beers. Most non-alcoholic beers, they follow their same process and they just strip the alcohol at the end. These guys did it different. They don't say how they did it, but I love it. And I think the result is is great. And apparently a lot of other people out there do as well. So yeah, they called the they called it Athletic Brewing Company. And it's since become the country's king of non-alcoholic beers. It recently passed Heineken and Budweiser as a number one brand by sales in U.S. grocery stores. Further on, they say that it's got 2.2% of all beer sales in grocery stores, which is huge. In fact, at, uh, at Whole Foods Market, Athletic now sells more than any other beer, including the ones with alcohol. They said it's like a 10% 
of all beer sales, which is huge. Amber and I were talking about that. Why, why Whole Foods? You know, our, our, we were speculating that I guess the clientele at Whole Foods is probably more health conscious than in most places. So maybe that's why the you know, non-alcoholic beers is selling better at Whole Foods than anywhere else. What are your thoughts on this article, Doug? I mean, I was absolutely amazed at how they broke into this market and the amount of sales that they were able to achieve. I didn't realize what a big deal this was for them taking it to market and what what an audience there is out there for it. They even talked in the article about initially they were thinking, so how do we get this out to the people? And they said, well, we're, we're the customers, so let's just bring it to places where we go. And they talk about bringing it to ultra marathons and runs and some of these other places. I'll tell you, since I started working with you and Vinny, I've taken to having the athletic every now and again. And there's a, there's a certain stigma in uh, the rooms of AA against non-alcoholic beer, like it's going to lead to a relapse or something like that. I truly believe that if you're confident in your sobriety, that there should be no problem there. And, you know, certainly if you have any question about it, stay away from it. Nobody's forcing you to. But I'll, I'll admit, I had a, a little bit of a fear when I got myself some. It's not been a problem at all. It's been really enjoyable. Uh, you've mentioned to me how the uh, polyphenols, I believe, help with recovery. So I have a legitimate reason to be drinking it, which is fantastic. And I will agree with this article. It is delicious. IPAs were my go-to when I was a drinker because higher alcohol, right? And yeah. they make a damn tasty IPA. No question about it. Yeah, they do. Got a six-pack in the fridge right now. Yeah, and you touched on the, the popularity in the market. They have some stats in here. Americans are drinking less, they say, and younger Americans are drinking the least. So Gallup poll survey found that 62% of adults under 35 drink, which is down from 72% two decades ago. And they, they think that the number is going to continue to drop since Gen Z drinks the least of any demographic. I think that alcohol is going to one day be like cigarettes, where... Everybody in the 50s and 60s used to smoke. They used to smoke inside. They used to smoke at restaurants. Everywhere you look, everybody's smoking. Now cigarettes are next to eliminated, right? I think alcohol is going to be the same way where it used to be everywhere you look, everyone's drinking at every event, but it's going to be, I wouldn't say eliminated, but uh, reduced significantly. And it's going to be looked at as, as you know, taboo, unhealthy, and not cool anymore. I think maybe 10 years from now, maybe that's just me dreaming, but I do see it, it heading in that same direction as cigarettes. Yeah, I have heard uh, that particularly Gen Z and the, the younger generations aren't into alcohol culture as, as much as uh, some of the older generations are. And that's really great to hear. It makes me think about, I'm sure some of you have seen some of those videos they have online about Here's social media, and they show some perfect scene, and then they go, but here's reality, and then they show what's really going on. And much like you said with cigarettes, they used to, to market, oh, this is so sophisticated, but the reality of it was you're giving yourself cancer. And similarly with alcohol, the, all the commercials during sports events and things like that, they try to make it seem like it's this wonderful lifestyle, and everyone's so healthy and great. When the reality of alcohol is not so good, it's, it's, you know, broken families and bad decisions and DUIs. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who can drink responsibly, but there's a huge amount, even those who aren't alcoholics, who do not drink responsibly. So that's my yeah. opinion. Well, now would be the perfect time to put a plug in. If you haven't heard yet, I am a athletic brewing company ambassador, and you can get 20% off 
by using the discount code AMBERG20. So, all right, guys, let's dive into the topic today. Six ways to get sober, stay sober, and run better. I came up with two, and you guys each came up with two. Two, four, six, I can count. <laughs> and <laughs> so let's talk about sobriety first and then talk about running. All right. So I'm going to let you go first, Doug. Go ahead and give us your sobriety tip, your best sobriety tip for the listeners. I was excited when we got this topic. At first, I had to say, wait a second, what exactly are we doing? But then once I figured it out, I went, oh, this is going to be great to talk about. I hope this doesn't cut it down to only five ways because my sobriety and my running topic are strikingly similar. But I want to talk about compartmentalization, if I can say the word. Often people here in the rooms of AA or even outside of, it's a common phrase of uh, one day at a time, keep it in the day. I am a huge believer in that phrase. It's an attainable goal. If I think I'm not going to drink today, it's something that I can wrap my head around. And I've heard you say this before, too, about even dry January. You can wrap your head around a month. It's even easier to wrap your head around a day. And just take things as they come to you in the day. This also you know, brings me to the concept of repetition. If you string a number of days together, you get into a repetitive habit. You begin habit forming by continuously stringing a day of not drinking together. And also, I really love the topic of one day at a time and keep it in the day because of the concept of being present. You know, that's something we talk about a lot in meditation, something we talk about a lot in sobriety, because back when I was drinking like a crazy person, I was anywhere else but present in the moment. I was living in the regret of everything I had done in the past. And then I was just living in the anxiety of the future of everything that I was going to screw up in the future. And that's what the alcohol took away from me. It took those feelings away until it didn't. One of the greatest things that I have found in sobriety is being present. And I still, to this day, keep it in the day. This day, eight years ago, is when I was in a, a hospital arguing with an ER doctor that they had done an alcohol test wrong on me, and I didn't have anything to drink that day. And that, that was my moment of clarity that brought me towards uh, sobriety. And, you know, God willing, if I keep it in the day today, tomorrow on February 9th will be my eight-year anniversary for my sobriety, which I'm, I'm super excited about. So I'm going to keep it in the day today, and that's my tip on uh, sobriety, compartmentalization. Yeah, well, compartmentalization, I, I've been using that tool, I guess, throughout my life, mainly to deal with, in a negative way, I think, to deal with like problems. You just kind of compartmentalize those bad things that are going on in your life. And in the past, I would just tend to ignore them. But now I compartmentalize them and just kind of, you know, kind of reframe them for what they really are. and then. You know, you can deal with them better. If you don't look, you know, Amber tells me sometimes to just zoom out, right? Don't focus on this one little problem and think that everything's bad. So I've been trying to do that. Yeah. So if you just compartmentalize those problems, those little things in your life that are going wrong, and you separate them from the whole, it allows you to just go focus on them for what they are and solve them and not let them, you know, nag at you and drag you down more so than they should. Doug, I love that you brought this up because the old adage one day at a time is very common. Sometimes people say like, oh, that's so cheesy, but no, it's not. It is so true when you think about it. Future tripping is one of the biggest hurdles that trip people up. They always say to me and Vinny, 
well, I've got a birthday coming up. I'm so worried about how I'm going to get through that birthday party or, you know, summertime is just going to be too hard for me. And they're thinking about their next hurdle, their next challenge. That's two weeks away, two months away, a year away. And they're like, oh my God, I can't, I can't take the pressure. It's going to make me crack. And then they drink <laughs> so far before the event, right? So future tripping is the worst thing that we can do for our sobriety. It's going to just cause so much anxiety. And that's why one day at a time is so powerful because you only have to worry about today. You only have to stay sober today. And you can break that down even further into a half a day, one hour, one minute, one second, just for the next minute, I will not drink. Can you not drink for one minute? Yes. Can you not drink for another minute? Yeah. Just keep on doing that for 15 minutes. And then suddenly your cravings are gone. They don't last more than 15 minutes. So I love that tip. Thanks, Doug. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Vinny. I chose my topic before I kind of stumbled upon the Wall Street Journal article. And my topic was, believe it or not, NA beer and how it can help in early sobriety. So I'll be very brief. In early sobriety, I did drink NA beer. And I think it helped. I drank it after a long run or after a group run where everybody else was drinking. I felt less awkward, not standing there just drinking water. And I think maybe it did satisfy some cravings that I had for beer because I really do love the taste of beer. So it helped me in early sobriety. And then my attitude towards non-alcoholic beer changed. I felt kind of like a hypocrite drinking it all at the same time advocating a, you know an alcohol-free and beer-free lifestyle. So I stopped drinking it. And then recently. I did some research and read some articles about uh, the benefits of non-alcoholic beer for endurance athletes that you touched on, Doug, specifically recovery benefits. So I'm back to drinking it. I probably drink, what, two or three maybe in a week. Again, I like the taste of it. I guess I'll summarize by saying, so for people who aren't necessarily triggered by it, I think that it can help in early sobriety to relieve some of that social awkwardness. It also has benefits for recovery for endurance athletes. Yep. Well said, Vinny. I mean, non-alcoholic beer, there's certainly so many pros and cons to it. But for me personally, in my earliest days of sobriety, it really did save me and keep me sober. I would come home from work and open up a Heineken Zero Zero or another NA beer. In those earliest days, sometimes I would drink two or three just to get through day one, day two, day seven. I relied heavily on it in the very beginning. And then as the weeks and the months strung together, I let it go. I released my grip on it, but it was a crutch for me. And I felt like I really needed it. It helped me significantly. Now, like you said, we still do drink it from time to time, but I don't need it. I don't think about it. I don't crave it. I look at it kind of as maybe you know, hey, I'll have one with dinner. Or if you say you're going to have one, I'll have one. But I don't I don't feel like I need it anymore. But I do feel like it is good to at the end of a race. Hey, here's the NA beer. Go ahead and celebrate. People still like to celebrate with something fun that's not water. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting that we've all had such different experiences with it. Because I literally just brought it into my repertoire last year after I started working with both of you. And as I said, my friend Kat and I, shout out to my friend Kat, had had a discussion about it and how AA as a program sort of looks down on it and whatnot. 
I'm looking forward to getting together with with her and uh, my other friend Barry at the A1A Marathon next weekend. And I think we're going to celebrate with uh, some athletic brews, which is something we haven't uh, done in in our friendship over the years um, because she just uh, picked them up as well. And they're delicious. Like I said, there's a reason to have them because of the polyphenols. I'll have them after a long run day. Like I said, they're really tasty. I'm not not sure what more I can say. They're good. They're really good. Yeah, they are. And I mean, there's so many other things you can drink too. If you're like, oh gosh, I hate NA beer. I mean, NA wine kind of sucks too, but there's kombucha, there's sparkling water, and there's always that fancy glass that you can fill with sparkling water and, you know, some fresh fruit. So NA drinks as a whole are such a good replacement when you're trying to quit drinking? Oh, I do enjoy a good mocktail. I, I like it when I go to an, a nice restaurant that has a mocktails menu. I go, this is this is nice. They're, th- they're thinking of other people here. Oh, they're few and far it. between. I love yeah. it when, when a restaurant has a, has a whole NA menu. I feel like they've really hit the nail on the head when they think about people who are either non-drinkers or in recovery because there's such a big market there. I've never had a mocktail. Oh, well, we'll have to fix that. I've never had NA wine and never had a mocktail. Well, you're not missing out on the wine. I really hate it. It's disgusting. Yeah. They have it at uh, Sprouts. (laughs) It's gross. (laughs) All right. So I want to tell you what my best sobriety tip is. Join a group. Okay. Join a group, get involved, meet people in a community, in a small group format. Stop trying to do this alone. It's not going to work. I had two groups that I belonged to in early sobriety, and I'm going to tell you about both. The first one was Celebrate Recovery, and this was my in-person group. Celebrate Recovery is CR for short, and it's like the church version of AA. So you show up and you're with a group. People are worshiping, listening to good music. You listen to a message about recovery. They teach you about the 12 steps. The next week, you're going to hear somebody sharing their testimony. And those messages are powerful because it's like a really good podcast. It's somebody up there on the stage telling about their whole life story from childhood into adulthood their hurts, habits, and hangups. And listening to these stories is powerful because it lets you know that you're not alone. Getting involved in a small group is so powerful because you're going to come face-to-face with other people who are struggling with the same things that you're struggling with. You're going to make friends. You're going to have people to talk to. You're going to hear stories of inspiration and hope that are going to empower you to stay sober. The in-person meetings, I love the best because then after the meeting's over, you can go for a walk with that person. You can have a play date with, with the kids, with that person. You can go out to dinner or coffee. And now suddenly you have somebody in your own town that you can do things with that don't involve drinking. Maybe you even get lucky enough to meet another sober runner. And my second group that I was a part of was called Shout Sobriety. And I'm still a part of that group today, almost four years later. We met online every single Monday night at the same time. I made it a habit to show up every Monday. I did the homework. There was always a writing prompt or a discussion topic to prepare for. 
So I wrote something out and I read it to the group or I came up ready to share with the group. It allowed me to do a lot of reflection and soul searching. It gave me permission to really dive into what am I struggling with? What are my fears? What do I need to work through? Who am I? All of those questions, they come out in these small group formats. The regular attendance of these meetings helps you to build accountability and friendship. And then you'll notice people start looking out for you, which is really important because if you suddenly disappear, but your friends are looking for you, then they're going to be like, Hey, where'd you go? Are you okay? So having somebody that's in your corner is everything. So for me, I had two meetings every single week that I committed to go to. And that's what helped me to get sober. Before I found these groups, I was doing it all alone. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any resources. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And that's why I kept on drinking and going back into sobriety and then drinking again. Before I joined a group, everything was just a mess. As I entered into those groups, I'm telling you, it just, it really fell into place for me. Yeah, this is such a good tip. We've said it before on this podcast, the opposite of addiction is community. And being around other people who have had a similar experience that you can talk to, who have more experience in this area for people who have longer term sobriety, or even just meeting others who are in early sobriety, who are going through some of the same things that you're going through is just key and critical to getting yourself long-term sobriety. I know my alcoholism took everything away from me. It took all relationships away from me until I was isolating. It wanted me to stay away from everybody and, and, and just, you know, deteriorate. And bringing other people into the mix, positive people to help build me up who had similar goals was uh, such a key for me in sobriety. So, so this is great. And there are tons of different groups out there. Like you said, there, it's not just AA. Celebrate Recovery sounds fantastic. And um, Shout Sobriety, was that uh, Matt Salis? Yeah. Yeah, I listened to you on that podcast last year. That was a really great episode as well. So yeah, there's tons of different groups out there. Yeah, there's tons of different groups, including ours, you guys. We have a group called Quit Like a Runner. And we've got 14 people in the group right now that have been with us since November. And we're in February now. So we've been friends with these people now for four months, building friendships, building relationships. We talk to each other all the time via text, Marco Polo. We meet on Zoom. We do challenges like Dry January and Fit February. We live life together. We have people that we can confide in, ask questions to hang out with that are sober that love to run, that want to get back in shape. Having friends that have things in common with you is everything. When, like you said, Doug, when we stop drinking, a lot of our friends go away and it's a very lonely feeling. So if you guys want to get into our group, we're accepting new members now. You can sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching or you can sign up to be part of the group. In 2024, we're really expanding what the group actually is. And we're going to be offering a lot of new meetings. In the past, I've taught yoga in the small group format. We've done friendly and fun social events that we plan on bringing back. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities to make new friends, build up these relationships 
And these people will be your lifelong friends. I have friends in the group that I met in 2020 and 2021 who still text me, still call me, still say, hey, when's our next retreat? When's our next reunion? Let's run a race together. It's it's the best thing that you can do, guys, is to join a group. No, that's great. I'll make just one last comment. I've found true friends in sobriety. A lot of the people that I was hanging out with in my drinking days, it's questionable what our relationship even was. And now I've found people in these past eight years who truly care about me. They care about my success. They care about my well-being. And we're all aligned to become better people. And that's what I had always wanted in life. And I could never get there until I put the booze down. Yeah. And I do have one more thing to say. When you do join our group, I will partner you up with people who you have things in common with. Doug, I don't know if you got the message today, but I sent a new friend your way just today. And I did see that. I that person up with two new friends today. Yeah. So, and I, I will reach out to him too. I just got it like <laughs> half, half hour ago or whatever. <laughs> okay. So Doug, it's your turn again. Give us your best tip on how to run better. I hope everyone is ready for this. It's going to sound very familiar. My running tip is compartmentalization one mile at a time. I do the same thing with my running. And I've done it all throughout this training cycle, uh, working with you and Vinny and, and a bunch of my previous training cycles, where sometimes a really long run or a really hard workout can seem like an insurmountable task. So I legitimately break it up into either physical chunks. I think if anyone follows me on Strava, they see that I do that with my uh, repeats when I do mile repeats. Each one will be unique. And someone had asked me one time, well, why don't you just use the the uh, the lap button on the watch, but there's just something about knocking it off. You know, I've got to do eight repeats today and then I finish one and I know I have seven more to go. And maybe this is just how my, my crazy head works. It makes it seem more achievable for me. And then I even do this for some of the longer runs. I'm trying to come up with a strategy for A1A next Sunday because I took a look at the course and how it's set up. And I'm looking at it as sort of an initial six mile chunk and then these four or five miles because it's an out and back. And each one of the out and backs is about five miles. And I go, you know, I can wrap my head around that a little bit more and I can sort of tailor my effort to those different chunks depending on how I feel. And I'm hoping for that last five miles on the way back, I'll be able to just kick it in high gear. But, uh, you know, we'll find out about that next Sunday. But it's a, a real mental mindset for me. Uh, this again, too, taking it just one little piece at a time, one mile at a time, one chunk at a time, again, brings me to that topic of being present. If I get in my head during a run, particularly at a race of, oh my God, I just slowed down so much. I did that mile 30 seconds slower than I need to to reach my goal. I get in that same thing. Um, like you said, the future tripping of, oh my God, I just blew this whole race. I'm not going to hit this goal that I tried to hit. You know, I have all sorts of anxiety. I might as well just quit. I might as well just give up. And you get in that mental battle in your head. Whereas if, if you know you break it down into these chunks, it's easier to manage and you can keep yourself present in the moment and, and just have a good headspace. So that's my take. And that's my tip on running. That's a good one, Doug. We use that all the time. We, what do we use the term? Uh, run the mile that you're in. Some of you have probably heard that, but one mile at a time, run the mile that you're in. Because every mile is different, right? It's like uh, this, this saying in ultra marathons that if you feel bad, just wait an hour. You know, things are going to change. You may feel worse, 
but there's a chance you may feel better. Um, and that, that is a true statement that sometimes we'll talk to each other. And one, one Ray Sammer said, yeah, I'm really suffering bad. And I said, well, you're, you're choosing to suffer. I mean, you have, you have the pain and discomfort associated with running 35 miles, but you're choosing to suffer, right? You, there is pain and discomfort associated with running a long way. And then you only have 15 miles left. So you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that by taking it one mile at a time, just run the mile that you're in, just get it one mile done. And the next mile done, just get to the next aid station because you know that you're going to be able to stop for 30 seconds and grab something to eat, grab a peanut butter and jelly, whatever, something that's going to make you feel good and change your mindset. You're going to reframe that pain and discomfort. If you tell yourself that you're hurting, then that's the way you're going to feel. But if you tell yourself that Hey, I just ran 30 miles and my body feels like I ran 30 miles. It's not hurting. It's just the normal pain and discomfort that accompanies running 30 miles. So just reframe how you're feeling and then just go. Like you said, in chunks. I like that to break it down into physical chunks, mental chunks. It just makes things easier and easier to tackle. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Mm-hmm. You use one of my favorite phrases right there, inadvertently, I think, but Pain is real. Suffering is optional. True for physical pain and true for mental and emotional pain. I think about that a lot. Choose not to suffer. Pain and discomfort are inevitable. Yeah. And I mean, Doug, you just combined what I would say is the motto of our group. One day at a time, one mile at a time. And I, I love to run one mile at a time. Now that I'm sober, I actually look around and enjoy the scenery. Now that I'm sober, I actually feel what my body feels like. It's not just hungover anymore. It's like, oh, I feel a little pain in my foot. I feel a little pain in my back. Or sometimes I just feel amazing. And I can appreciate that, that I have a clear head and that my body feels so good. But I love to break the runs down into chunks, like you said. I think that's a great strategy for your upcoming marathon. Whenever I'm running a marathon, I like to break it into thirds because to me, eight miles, nine miles is a good manageable chunk, right? So it's like, okay, I'm running the first third and I only think about those eight or nine miles and I'm really focused on them. I'm not thinking, oh my God, I still have to run 25 miles. That's future tripping. That's psyching yourself out. Think about the mile that you're in. Enjoy the scenery, you know, talk to the people around you. You can look forward to the next aid station that's coming up. You can prepare what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. You can get your playlist ready, get a good audio book, get some music going, but really just being mindful of the mile that you're in. And it's like Vinny said, if you're in pain, know that it's not going to last forever because sometimes when you're running, something in your foot hurts for a couple of miles and then suddenly it's gone. So just knowing, okay, I, I can run with this for another five minutes, another 10 minutes, and then it's gone. Uh, a quick aside that popped in my head. I, I like to listen to audiobooks and music a lot when I run, but you know, from talking to Vinny, he doesn't do that. And I did have one run uh, the other weekend where I took an hour of it with no audiobook, no music, and I just enjoyed the sounds of the morning. And I don't know exactly how this fits in, but something you said sparked that in my head about being present and being in the moment. It was pretty cool. And I need to explore that a bit more, I think. When I run with Vinny, I feel bad 
a lot of the time listening to music and putting my headphones in. So half the time I don't bring my headphones at all. And I talk to Vinny and we enjoy each other's company. <laughs> and, and when I don't have my headphones in and I'm not listening to something, I'm much more mindful of my breath and how my body feels. And that's so helpful as a runner to, to notice, Hey, your heart rate's up a little too high. You better slow down. Or, you know, my body's feeling like this and you can adjust accordingly when you're actually paying attention to where you're at, how you feel, you can improve your running that way. Okay, Vinny, <laughs> he's staring <laughs> at me. Yeah, you know, they say most stats are made up on the spot when you say uh -huh. well, half the time you're ignoring me on a run. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Is it more than half or less than it, half? It might be. I was going to say 90% of the time it works all the time. That's right. <laughs> all right. So I, I guess it's my turn for a running tip. And I'm going to talk about something that probably my favorite thing to talk about when I talk about running. It's uh, zone two heart rate training. So this basically refers to running a majority of your runs while maintaining your heart rate in zone two. And zone two is also referred to as the, the aerobic zone. I think it's the best way to run, especially for us weekend warriors who are looking to improve our overall health and wellness and longevity and we're not going to go out and win a marathon. We're interested in running long-term for, for health. I think it's the way to go. That said, it will improve your performance. A lot of people think that they need to run fast to improve their VO2 max, but the science shows that any type of running is going to improve your VO2 max, right? But if, you, if you're running close to your VO2 max and doing intervals, then obviously there's more benefit to VO2 max, but this low heart rate training does have, have some effect. It also has some other benefits. So most practically is, say so you mentioned you have your A1A marathon next weekend, which is hard to believe that it's next weekend, by the way. It seems like that that's crazy and you're going to crush it. So marathon, guys like me and you, we go out and we show up the start line and we have 2000 calories stored in our body of sugar as glycogen that's available for basically immediate use by our muscles to propel us forward. So that's 2000 calories. So you run two hours or so, and that's gone. So if you don't replenish it along the way, you're going to bonk, right? Everybody's probably heard that term. If you're a runner, the bonk happens around mile 20. Most people, some of it's mental, but a lot of it is physical in that they don't know how to, or they don't replenish those calories that they're burning along the way. The beauty of zone two training is that while you're running in these low heart rate zones, you're using or training your slow twitch muscle fibers to use more fat than glycogen. So the slower you run, the more fat you're using, preferentially over glycogen. The body's smart, so it uses both at the same time, and the low heart rate zones is gonna use more fat. So your body becomes what's called fat adapted. Um, I told you you had 2000 calories about of sugar. You, also, you have an unlimited amount of calories, basically of fat. Even the leanest of us has basically an unlimited amount of fat calories to burn. So if you trained your body to use those, you're going to be able to go longer for harder in that same marathon scenario that I presented without having to refuel. And you can only do that by training your body to do that. And that's through long-term zone two training. But you don't have to take my word for it. A lot of the best athletes in the world use this best, arguably the best ultra marathoner in the world, Killian Dornet uses it. And then Mark Allen, the guy, he won like six or seven Ironman World Championships. They all follow a guy called uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone. He's probably the, the pioneer of this theory. So I won't go into the science, but 
you know, there's ways to figure out if you're in zone two, if you don't have a heart rate monitor or you don't know what your heart rate is. If you can carry on a conversation while you're running, you're, you're probably in the aerobic zone and that's where you should do the majority of your runs. Experts recommend 80% in zone two, 20% focused on speed or hills, whatever your race specificity is. If you have any questions, you can send me or Amber a message because we love this type of running and, and we practice it all the time. We use heart rate monitors and we always check our heart rate while we're running. We don't really run by pace anymore. We run by heart rate. Heart rate gets too high, we slow down. So a lot of people get discouraged and quit zone two training just because of that reason. They think they're going too slow. They have to walk to stay in zone two. But over time, you're going to be able to sustain a faster pace at the same heart rate. That's how it works. So you got to stick with it. I'm really glad that you brought this up, Vinny, because if you didn't bring it up, I was going to bring it up. We love to talk about this. Zone two training, heart rate training is one of the hottest topics that runners are talking about this year and last year. But at the same time, I feel like it's the secret that a lot of people still don't know about because when people come to us as new clients, they're usually used to just running as fast as they can, a fast speed every day, every run. They're like, okay, I'm going to see how fast I can run five miles. I'm going to see how fast I can run 10 miles. I'm going to see, you know, how fast I can do this run. But how long can you keep up that fast pace? I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. But how long can you keep up a slow and steady pace? All day, baby, all day. Vinny and I do the run-walk method where we run three minutes and walk one minute. That's a great way to keep your heart rate low and experience all of the benefits of zone two training. One of the best benefits that you mentioned, Vinny, was fat loss and fat optimization. Our bodies have stored extra fat by drinking for so many years, right? I think after, you know, you've reached the point where you're ready to quit drinking, you realize that you have some extra fat to lose. So by running this way, your body is naturally going to release stored body fat. And I'll tell you this, by running fast, you're not going to burn body fat. You're going to burn sugar and carbs, not fat. If you want to lose weight, this is the way to run. So moms, dads, listen up. If you have like 10, 20 pounds to lose, you got to start running slower. I love this. It really is true. If you want to run faster, you need to run slower. It sounds so counterintuitive. I had started reading a little bit about this zone two last year, and it was something that had never even come into my mind. Um, like you said, when I first started running, it was every single run, I would try to run as fast as I could, as hard as I could. And that's what made sense to me at that time. You know, I need to get, if I need to get better, I need to push myself every time. And the reality of it is your, your body is a machine. And the zone two is, you know, training your body for better aerobic capacity. Like you said, it builds up your, your VO2 max and it gets you in that fat burning zone uh, where you can teach your body to utilize that more so than it is just burning carbs. So particularly in endurance running, it will help you run longer without that, that crash, which is fantastic. And I can tell you, while I had read about it a little bit last year and I started to mix walk-run intervals into the crazy trainings that I had created, I didn't do this correctly until I started working with uh, both of you. 
we're going to find out, you know, definitively next Sunday. But just judging from the half marathon I ran in December, I've improved immensely and I contribute so much of it to, you know, the 80-20, doing a lot of the the 80% of the running in zone two. And I'm one, I don't care about my numbers. You know, I've had some zone two runs where I'm doing 12 and a half minute miles. And then I've had other ones that have felt a little better and I'm in the 10 minute range. And I, I, I don't care what it is because when it comes down to race day or when I'm trying to perform, that's the time that I care about. Yeah. And I first learned about zone two running from my two top idols, uh, Rich Roll and David Goggins. They both talk about zone two training a lot. So I first heard it from them. And then I implemented it into my own life over the past two or three years. And I've seen huge gains in both races where I was trying to set a new PR and races where I was tackling a new distance. In 2023, I was doing a ton of zone two running. I set a new PR in the half marathon and in the marathon at the age of 41 by doing a lot of zone two running. And I also ran my first couple of 50 mile races by training in zone two. And right now I'm training for a hundred mile race with Vinny and we do all of our running in zone two. We do some hill work that gets our heart rate up, but I'm not doing any speed work right now. Maybe after this race, I'll start doing a little more speed work like you, Doug, but variety is key and zone two low heart rate is going to give you the most bang for your buck. All right. Now my best tip to run better is different than yours. And it is about food, okay? Eat to perform. Why is this important? Because when we go running, if we don't feel good, if we don't have our ideal body weight, if we have just eaten like a whole cheese pizza, if we're bloated and feeling gross, if we don't feel good, we're not gonna run good, okay? So I don't know if you guys know this, but both Vinny and I are plant-based, 100% plant-based. And he's been that way for years and I'm on year two. And I've seen tremendous benefits in eating this way. And keep on listening, even if you're thinking to yourself, I'm never gonna be plant-based. There's something in this for everybody because you can always have more plants in your diet, okay? Adopting a plant-based diet offers so many benefits for runners. It contributes to improved performance, faster recovery after running, ideal body weight, and overall better health. So moms and dads, you got to stop eating the leftovers off your kid's plate, okay? Leave those dinosaur chicken nuggets alone. Leave those half-eaten grilled cheese sandwiches alone. Leave the mini corn dogs, the chips, the candy the garbage, leave it on your kid's plate, just throw it away. Okay. That's like my best tip, but you guys, you've got to start eating more plants. Why? Plants are alive. Okay. All the colors of the rainbow, they literally give us new life because they're growing out of the ground and they're alive. They're full of antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals, which protect our body from oxidative stress. They are filled with fiber, which aids in digestion, making us feel satisfied and full. Eating plants helps us manage our body weight naturally because plants are lower in calories and lower in fat than meat and dairy. Now, I don't know if you know this or if you've experienced this, but 
after you eat cheese, don't you feel like gassy and bloated and your skin becomes all oily? That's because cheese is highly processed and it's highly fatty. It just kind of sits in your gut and it's like, yeah, making you feel fat, right? Meat kind of does the same thing. I know, I know you guys love your chicken and your steak and your salmon, but meat, also known as dead decaying flesh, bleh, sits in your stomach for 24 to 72 hours. While it's sitting in your stomach, your body is working overtime trying to digest your food. Now, the problem with that is when your body is digesting your food, that's all that it's doing. Your energy is being sucked into food digestion when you eat meat and dairy. It's causing you chronic fatigue. It's stealing your energy reserves. So alternatively, by eating plants, plants are easy to digest. Like I said, the fiber helps with digestion. When you eat uh, fruits and veggies, nuts and seeds, whole grains, your body can digest them and use them quickly. It turns into fast fuel and then it's gone. It's out of your stomach. It's not going to make you bloated. It's going to give you fast energy for your next run. And like I said, it's going to aid in weight loss. I'll tell you this, Vinny and I, we do not count calories. We do not measure our food. We don't think about how much of this we're going to eat. We don't say no pasta, no bread. Nothing is off limits as long as it's plant-based. We eat as much as we want. We'll eat a big salad. We'll eat a big burrito bowl. We never go hungry and neither one of us has a problem with our weight. When I went vegan, I lost 10 pounds, maybe 15 pounds within a month or two without even trying because I believe it is the healthiest way to eat, therefore the best diet for runners. And Rich Roll would agree with me. He's one of the main reasons why I went vegan for the second time five years ago after reading his book, Best Book Ever, Finding Ultra, of course. So that's my best tip, you guys. Eat to perform. You got to consider what are you eating and drinking and how is that affecting your running? Food has been one of the most difficult things for me in, in my life journey. And uh, some of you who've listened to the podcast before know at the end of my drinking career, I was around 350 pounds. Even as recently as uh, about a year, year and a half ago, I was, I was sitting around 250 pounds. And getting my diet in order was key in order for me to take my running to the places that I, I want to be able to take it. I just recently started working with a new nutritionist. The name of her company is actually Nourish to Flourish, which I think is a great name for a company. Uh, her name is Kirsten Miller. She's done a bunch of ultra triathlons and all of these things. Incredibly knowledgeable woman who has been helping me immensely. Uh, I'm not plant-based. I'll put that out there. I love seafood. But guess what? One of the things that she directs me to do is eat more plants. Even if I'm still eating, you know, seafood and chicken and this and that, plants are a huge part of it. You know, protein and vegetables are the combination that I try to hit on the days when there's not heavy training and then try to mix in more carbs before the days where there is a big run planned. And again, with those, it's staying away from processed crap 
you know, you want to eat the good carbs, some nice wild rice, uh, sweet potatoes, potatoes, things, things like that. So yeah, eat more plants is, is definitely something you hear no matter who you talk to. Even if you're going to keep eating meat, eating more plants is always a good idea. Yeah. And eliminate the junk food, you know, the process, the stuff that we know we shouldn't be eating. Just don't eat it anymore. <laughs> it's like easier said than done, right? But find somebody to watch on YouTube that's going to show you how to do it. Or, oh, I have a good idea. Join our group because Vinny and I can tell you exactly what we eat. I'm coming up with all sorts of new things for our group, like a ready for you grocery list and a one week meal plan. Because people tell me a lot, you know, I wish I could be vegan, but it's so confusing. I don't know what to eat. Like, where do you get your protein? The protein thing is a myth, you guys. Uh, most of us are eating two and three times the amount of protein that our body actually needs. And that's causing bloating too. So if you're feeling sluggish, heavy, unrested, unwell, it might be your diet. What do you think, Finny? Well, I don't have a lot to add to that discussion. You guys kind of covered it. I will say that studies show that the biggest cause of a DNF and ultra running is gastrointestinal issues. People don't really understand the mechanism. So when you're running, the blood is used to digest the food that's in your gut. And then as you run, your body heats up. Overheating is a higher priority than digestion for the body. So the blood that would normally be used to digest the food will go to dissipate the heat on your skin. Whatever is in your gut won't become digested and it will upset your stomach and it'll come out if it's not digested. You lose all the benefit of those nutrients that you were sitting in your gut because you just expelled them. So if there's stuff sitting in your gut for days, right, the blood that would normally be used to digest it once you heat up, it's going to be used to dissipate the heat. It's going to upset your stomach. So if you eat a lot of plants, you know that those things don't stick around a lot for very long, right? A lot of fiber. So it's in nutrients into the body. Everything that's not needed is out. I didn't know that about heat dissipation versus uh, digestion. That's, that's a cool bit of science. And let me just say, just regarding cheese really quickly, I am <laughs> lactose intolerant, but I still eat cheese because I think it's delicious. And I just feel personally attacked because I had a situation with cheese this past <laughs> Saturday where I was eating at my in-laws and they had one of those packs that had, you know, the four different kinds of cheese, like pepper jack and this and that. And I, I, let's just say I ate a little bit too much cheese and I experienced gas uh, bloating and probably oily skin too. Uh, it wasn't a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Doug, I'm not going to lie. I do like the taste of cheese. I like to eat cheese and crackers but I know how bad it is for me. So I won't touch the stuff, but is it delicious? Yes. Is it shit for your body? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My wife, Erin, one of the things she always talks about when she says I could never go vegan is she says, there's no suitable replacement for cheese, no vegan replacement for cheese. That's and I've tried to tell her, yeah, I've tried to tell her, there are a lot of the, the creamy cheeses you can make, uh, like cashew cheeses and whatnot, that are, that are really delicious. I've had a number of vegans in my life over the years, and I've learned how to make some good stuff, and uh, I really enjoy cashew cheeses. But I think it's the melt factor. Maybe you know some that I don't know of that, that work well on pizza, but it just doesn't seem to, to get that consistency. Yeah, you know... I had to bring up pizza. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> here. Spot. I love pizza. I'm from New York. Yeah. Vegan pizza is good. 
but it's not great. You know, yeah. we mentioned earlier in the episode that over the past few years, the quality of the NA beer has gone up significantly. Well, over the past few years, the quality of vegan products has gone up significantly. I was vegan 20 years ago. There was nothing to eat except for literally, you know, fruits and vegetables. But now you go into almost any grocery store, there's an entire vegan section in the, you know, the produce aisle. There's all the tofus and the stuff, but there's also a vegan section in the freezer. There's, there's so many good options now. And then if you go online, you can get boxes delivered to your house from Hungry Root or HelloFresh. And they have some really good vegan cheeses. Rich Roll's wife, Julie Pyatt, she has her own business. Um, she's a vegan chef. She makes the most delicious vegan cheeses. Now, it's like $80 for a brick of this cheese, <laughs> but uh, it's freaking delicious. So we do not go hungry. We do not sacrifice taste. And it, I can't say enough good things about a plant-based diet. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better. You're going to run better. You're going to lose weight. And let me just say, Vinny, I think you may have just found an untapped market that we need to get into. Uh, yes. Much like they did with the athletic beers, if we could make an amazing vegan pizza that rivals New York yeah. pizza, I mean, that's a billion-dollar industry. Come on. Yeah. Those guys got, got uh, Keurig Dr. Dr. Pepper to give them $51 million as an investment in their company. So um, I'll, you know, I'm standing by. I'm waiting for somebody to give me a couple mil, and I, I can invent some, some good vegan cheese. Hey, I will I will test taste all of your vegan <laughs> cheeses and pizzas. I could eat yeah. pizza, vegan pizza every day, but I'm okay with um just the dough, the sauce, and all the veggies on top. I can skip the cheese. There's a pizza around here. It's Rhode Island style called Party Pizza, which is just the dough with a delicious uh, herby tomato sauce on it. It's really good. And if yeah. you guys have a Blaze Pizza near you, you can get a vegan pizza. They have they have pretty good vegan cheese. Yeah, we do have one of those around here. Yeah, yeah it's good pizza. Try it. yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. It's been super fun talking to you guys again. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a couple of more guests to join us because that episode that you guys did with Mac was super inspiring. So if you guys want to be on the podcast, if your story is one that needs to be heard by the group, please email us because we're having kind of a hard time with the scheduling. It's hard to schedule one event for four different people. And that's kind of been the holdup on finding new guests. So hit us up if you want to be on the show. We'll try to squeeze you in and let us know of any future topics that you guys want to hear about because we are here for you to entertain, inspire, inform, and educate. And uh, we don't know what we don't know, so go ahead and tell us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Cheer, everybody. Buddy.